Um, and let's continue our series, Learning to Lead, as, as we do that with our lead pastor, Roland Gray. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Welcome back. Good morning, everybody. Glad you can join us this morning. Well, I hear uh, the women had a powerful time this weekend at the Freedom Weekend. If you were there, could you give me just a raise of your hand? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, guys, God is in the business of doing some things in our life. You know, and so Freedom Weekend, we had a great time with the men a couple of weeks ago. It's a two-day meetup where we get together and we pray for each other and we kind of just, you know, talk about uh, life. How many know life sometimes has a way of getting a hold of you, sometimes slowing you down, sometimes just life is just heavy. And so uh, Freedom Weekend is a good way to kind of decompress a little bit, uh, but giving God the opportunity is an amazing thing. So I hear that yesterday was literally a Victory Freedom Weekend, and I'm glad to hear that because God, that's what he is all about. continue our series, um, but I wanted to ask you guys a question. Is WWJD still a thing? What would Jesus do? Is it? So, okay, so it kind of is. I guess some people have a question mark. WWJD was a big movement. Uh, man, I can't believe it's been over 30 years now. I know. We're, yeah, now we're going, oh, man. Right, for those of us who are familiar with this. So if you're my age, you've probably heard of this. But WWJD stands for What Would Jesus Do? It was a big movement. Um, it became really iconic in the, in the Christian world, um, and even athletes and celebrities started wearing the, the gear. But WWJD didn't start from the time that we recognize it. It actually started back in 1896 by a guy named Charles Sheldon. He wrote a book called In His Steps. The book was about a pastor in the Midwest who challenged his church for a period of one year uh, before they would make any decisions or you know, engage in any action, they would first ask, what would Jesus do? Uh, and eventually, they, um, it took off in the church, it changed their church, and then it eventually changed their entire community by simply asking that question, what would Jesus do? Then in 1990, some of y'all weren't even around in 1990. In 1990, a youth leader in Michigan by the name of Janie Tinklenburg Sounds like going to the bathroom, don't it? She was inspired by the book, and she challenged the youth in her group to live in such a way. She started making these cheap rubber bracelets and these weaved bracelets for the kids to wear, and that that was to remind them of the challenge. Eventually, she would go on to make shirts and other items. She kept selling out of merchandise, and then the neighboring towns saw the trend, and they jumped on, they started buying Long story short, WWJD made a whole lot of money. And to my surprise, as I was researching this, Janie, I'm going to use her name Janie because the last name is funny, Uh, but Janie didn't make a single dime, even though she started that movement kind of in our modern times. And the reason why is because she wanted to demonstrate uh, what she preached. She wanted to practice what she preached. And so as everybody else jumped on the bandwagon, they started coming out with their own gear. Um, I don't know if we got pictures of some of that gear. Did you guys see that? Okay, maybe not. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. 
And so there, anybody ever seen those before? Right? Anybody seen an athlete wear one? And then kind of claim that, you know, that was the edge. God was on my side. So, you know, I've gained all those yards, scored those touchdowns, made all those baskets, right? And so they started making keychains and stuffed animals and all this stuff. And so, again, they made a lot of money. People made a lot of money doing their own thing with this. And then it went into a fight for the rights and the royalties for WWJD. And so Janie said, you know, rather than enter into fight, she just took the high road. She took the way of humility and said, you know what, I'm not going to have any of that because really it was just to glorify God. How many know if that was me, I would have got my piece of the pie? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so anyway, um, good for her. She was able to demonstrate what Jesus demonstrated. And we'll read about it in the Bible today, but for the rest of us, how many know it's hard to be like Jesus. It's not always easy. When I gave my life to Christ, I was gung-ho. I was, whatever you have for me, God, I want it. I'll take it. I dove in. And for a while, it kind of went good. How many know when you're madly in love with somebody, you'll do anything? And so I was madly in love with Jesus, but even then, stuff just wasn't easy. And so there's a woman who found this out um, firsthand when she was cooking breakfast for her two young boys. One was 10 and one was 5, and they liked big pancakes, and she was, she was making these big pancakes. Her two boys are sitting at the table, and so she drops one pancake in the middle of her two boys, the 10-year-old and the 5-year-old, and they immediately start fighting. And she goes, hey, 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 hey. She's remembering the bracelets, and she goes, you know what? You boys should think about what would Jesus do, and I'll tell you what Jesus would do. Jesus would say, I'm going to give the first pancake to my brother. And the 10-year-old goes, I got an idea. And he looked at his younger brother. He said, you be Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if that's what Jesus would do in that situation. But as we continue our series on leadership and what that looks like as a Christian and how it applies to you and your church or this church or wherever you find yourself serving God, when you summarize the idea of Christianity, Christianity itself, and then especially Christian leadership, it really is about imitating Christ. It's about imitating Christ. And again, it's a whole lot easier to talk about what would Jesus do rather than answering that question for ourselves. And to answer the question, what would Jesus do, we must first answer the question, what has Jesus done? And Paul answers that question in our text in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5 through 8, I'll give you a real quick second to turn there. If you have a Bible, if you're reading on your device for the rest of us, you can follow along on the screen. Starting in verse 5, it says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In the NIV version, it says, have the same mind as Christ. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Bow your heads with me. Father, we just ask you again, Lord, as we deliver your word, that Holy Spirit, you would help us to understand, and especially on a topic as important as this. Lord, let us 
bear witness to your word and what it means. And Lord, may it change our lives as we walk out of this place today. In Jesus' name, and God's people said. So as we continue our leadership series, I want to remind you that all of us, by God's design, are leaders. All of us have the ability to influence somebody at some point in time. A lot of times, we influence people every day. And so how do we aspire to Christian leadership that will help us be most effective in leading others? And it's simply this. Imitate Jesus in three ways. Three ways we should be like Jesus. Submission, service, and sacrifice. How many just hearing those words already don't like this message? (laughs) Submission? What? Service? Sacrifice? Who wants to submit to somebody else? Married folks. Right? Service. You mean serve? Serve sounds nice on the surface, but really when you, talk, when you talk about service, we pick and choose where we serve. We pick and choose who we serve. And as we learned last week, Jesus doesn't do that. And then, of course, there's sacrifice, and we don't like that because it's painful. Sometimes sacrifice hurts, and sometimes sacrifice costs. So we don't like those words. In fact, Because we struggle with those words is proof that we need humility. Humility is required to even pull those three things off. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I've entitled my message, Humble Like Jesus. Humble Like Jesus, who is our great leader. So you get a double whammy. Last week we talked about how Jesus served. Serving like Jesus, we're talking about humility today. And that's the whole point of the passage that we just read. It's humility. But... How many know humility is kind of elusive? How do you measure humility? What if I came up to you and said, yeah, you know, I'm, 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 I'm real humble. Right? At the end of the service, I'll tell you how I got to be so incredibly humble. You, you can't really measure it. It's easier to measure things like compassion and kindness and love and patience. And in those things, we can grow and we can, because we can measure it, we can kind of encourage ourselves as we get strengthened in those areas. But humility is just a little bit different. Those others are seemingly more tangible than humility. The late pastor and author Andrew Murray, South African pastor, he says that humility is not so much a virtue, but it is the root of all virtues because it alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him, God, to do all In other words, it is what exactly Pastor Matt prayed this morning, that we are weak and that we are giving God an opportunity to do something with us. And so the root and foundation of all these virtues is often the forgotten one, and it's humility. When's the last time you heard a message on humility? When's the last time you taught your children about humility? It's one of those things we just don't hear very much of. And so something that humility is thinking less of yourself. And that's not quite accurate. Humility is thinking of yourself less and thinking of others more. In this chapter, Paul mentions three people who were examples of of those who were humble. He mentions Timothy. Uh, At the end of the chapter, he mentions a person by the name of Epaphroditus. Anybody name their child Epaphroditus? Okay, don't do it. Um, 
No, I'm just kidding. If there's anybody, that's a, that's a great, great biblical name. Um, and then, of course, what we're talking about is Jesus. The whole entire chapter is about humility. And he's writing to the Philippians and he's writing to us. To give us an illustration of what humility looks like. Of what humility looks like. And what humility acts like. And the greatest act and example of humility was in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so there are three things that were going to cause, uh, cause this humility to manifest in the life of a believer. So put on your seatbelt, okay? Um, I trust that this is going to be good. How many know medicine is good sometimes? And for some of us, in some areas, we, fly, we, we pass with flying colors. And then there's others where we just we get challenged. So I believe this is good. God's word is good for us. And so what causes humility to, humility to manifest in the life of a believer and in the life of a Christian leader are these. And the first one is this humility manifests in and through submission. Humility manifests in and through submission. In other words, if these things aren't activating, humility can't really do its thing. Again, going back to uh, verse 6, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. First and foremost, Paul is reminding us that Jesus existed in the form of God. This is important because we've got to get this, this contrast. And before he took on flesh and skin, he was God both inwardly and outwardly and fully. And he carried splendor and glory. And that's why Jesus, that's why he was God before he even came down. Now think about this. Jesus as God does not need anything. And before he came, how many know he didn't need anything? He was in heaven. He was seated on the throne next to the right hand of the Father. And all of the heavenly hosts constantly worshiping him. How many know that's a pretty good gig? And he didn't have to come down. He didn't have to leave. He could have stayed right there. And when you think about it, why would anybody want to leave something like that? And in the example of Jesus, it was simply this. Because he did not think of himself. And that's what caused him to leave he was thinking of you. He was thinking of me. And that's the Father's heart. And so he emptied himself. And when you think about this verse, when we're talking about it, what did Jesus empty himself of? What did he empty himself from? And I would say this. He emptied himself of his rights. How many know that Jesus had a right to be in heaven? He had a right to stay there. That was his home. That's where he's from. And even if Jesus didn't come down, and even if Jesus didn't die for us, and we died and we missed heaven, how many know we would deserve it? It would be right because of our sin. We can't bring that into heaven, but because of his mercy, he left and he did what he did. And now we get a chance to make heaven our home. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. In doing this, he submitted himself to the will of the Father and we're called to do the same. So even as we're talking about submission, what Jesus did also applies to us. How many of us are 
ready and willing to give up our rights for somebody else. I don't know about you, I struggle with that sometimes. And then the Bible says, behold, in, in Hebrews 10, 7, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The one that was equal to the Father, the Bible says, the one that was equal to the Father chose to submit to the Father. Now, I'll be honest, there's a lot in the Bible even as I'm a pastor and I've been doing this for several years, there's still some things that I don't quite understand. I just, I just, I just accept in faith. That's, that's what faith is. And so even as I study and I try to put things together and I come to conclusions, there's still some gaps. The Trinity is one of them. I don't understand the Trinity. I mean, we, we get it. We have these, these examples, right? And then, but this is another one. That, that Jesus, though he was equal with God, would choose to submit to him. And so they're equal. And how many of you have been on equal plane with somebody else? And maybe you're bouncing ideas around and somebody has to give. And how many know, you know, I know this with leaders. When leaders get in the room and sometimes we don't want to give. We just, we want our ideas. We want, we want, you know, our, our plans, right? And so we kind of dig our heels in. I can remember uh, when I was single and we were in college, and we got a bunch of single guys into an apartment. That was the only way we can afford an apartment. We lived on an island. They don't make more real estate on an island. Okay? And so rent was expensive, and we were in there. And I can remember there was four of us, and we butted heads all the time. How many know when you get four guys at a table? Right? And so, but it was a fun time. It was a great time. But you know what? We were on equal plane, and sometimes you're equal. Sometimes God will say, no, 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 you back up. You give for the sake of somebody else. See, already I can see some of you going. <laughs> but that's what Jesus did. Now, the other thing I want to note before we go on to our next point is that Jesus did this voluntarily. He did it voluntarily. He chose to do it. He chose to leave heaven. He chose to submit to God the Father. Paul said, let our minds be like the mind of Christ. That means voluntarily submit ourselves to God and to each other. That was a good place to say amen, by the way. Okay, okay just make sure we're on the same page. And this is the first aspect of humility. Paul wants us to see that Jesus chose to give these things up. He chose to submit to to the will of God. Point number two, humility manifests through service. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, or I'll try not to spend a whole lot of time, because we spent a lot of time last week talking about what it means to serve. Jesus doing the unthinkable and taking the place of a slave. Now, we're going to get into the, the scriptures, but the word actually, when, when we translate the word, it actually means slave. Now, I get it because of our history we already don't like that word, but the Bible, that's the word they use. And Jesus said, I chose to go there. He chose to be that. In the middle part of verse 7, it says that he took the form of a servant, but the real word is doulos. It's the actual and more accurate meaning, and it is slave. And I think some of the interpretations um, might have been a little soft on this, but that is the actual meaning 
which brings new meaning to this thought that Jesus would choose to go there and that Jesus would choose to become that. So Paul is telling us it's not just about a submissive heart, but it's also about a servant's heart. Verse 7 again says that he took the form of a servant or a slave. Now you remember Mark chapter 10 as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He's on his way to crucifixion. His time had come and it was just counting down the days. And so he has this conversation with his, with his disciples. And they begin to argue about who was going to be the greatest in God's kingdom. Jesus is less than 48 hours from being tortured on a cross. And the disciples are arguing who's going to be the greatest. And then they even get to the point where they say, Jesus, can you do us a favor? Can you make sure that we're at your right and left side when you get into your glory? It's like they knew he was going to die, and they're still thinking about themselves. Instead of saying, Jesus, is there anything I can do for you? You don't have much time left. You see, it's our nature to not choose humility. It's our nature to think about ourselves. Even in God's presence, and I don't know about you, I've, I've, I've asked God for some things. Thank God he doesn't give me everything. Some of it might ruin me. Somebody wants to donate a Porsche, it's cool. Right? And then they get to the place, again, where they're making deals with Jesus. And so Jesus responds in his way, very brilliantly. He says, it's not up to me, that's not my choice. And then in verse 42, Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. The Gentiles, they lord, they lord it over the authority, all that, yeah, they, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be the first among you must be slave of all. There's that word again that we don't like. Now, what's he saying? The way things work in my kingdom, Jesus says, it's quite different. The way that it works among you all is not the way that it works with me. If you want to be great, you must see yourself as a slave. Now think about this. What rights do a slave have? Exactly. And so this is what Jesus was giving up when he came to serve us. Later on in verse 45, he gives himself as an example. And he says, for even, in the, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He even took it another step. Jesus never ceased being who he was, but he still chose to, uh, to come down as a slave to serve us. And brothers and sisters, I'll tell you this. As followers, you will be called to serve. You will be called to serve God's body. You will be called to serve others. The fact that we bear the name of Christ already puts us in that category. And by receiving him and by imitating him, 
that means we basically give up our rights. This is how serious this is. And Jesus is saying, look, be like me. Wow, thanks, Jesus. Right? You will be called to serve the body of Christ. Slaves have no right. A slave, when you think about the concept of a slave, a slave is usually owned by somebody else. And Jesus is saying, you lower yourself to be a servant or a slave because we're owned by who? We're owned by him. Referring to last week's message at the Last Supper, Jesus was the only one who deserved to have his feet washed. The only one who deserved to have his feet washed, yet what did he do? The Bible says he took off his outer garments and he wrapped a towel around his waist. Somebody with authority. Somebody who was deity. And this is the difference between Jesus and any other God that your friends say that they serve or believe in. Is that Jesus is the only God who said, I will bow and serve you. And I will do anything for you. And I will give everything for you. No other God has ever claimed to do that. So here's a question as we end this point. Do you look more often to be served or to serve others? Here's our last point. Humility manifests through sacrifice. Wow, I'm making good time, huh? And all the hungry people said, amen. Where are we going for lunch? Let me try to stretch this out a little more. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let me go back there. It says in verse, uh, no, let's read verse uh, 7 and 8. It says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Now notice what he did. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So here we see the conclusion of not just Christ's humility, but his humiliation. Keep in mind that this is something he chose to do. So it's not just about his humility. Ultimately, Jesus was humiliated for us, for you and I. I don't know if you've ever experienced humiliation I don't even know if I should tell this story, but I'm going to. But I remember in high school, there was this girl that I had a crush on. She was in my science class. She was also, uh, we had, um, anybody who played sports had uh, sports as their last class of the day. And so it was raining, and so they didn't let anybody, let anybody outside. So we were in the gym. And while we're in the gym, the coach says, you're not getting away with it. You guys aren't just going to sit there. We're going to have, you know, relay races, and we're going to, you know, have contests. And so I remember him saying, let's, you know, let's see who can do the most push-ups in, in the shortest amount of time. And so, of course, we jumped down there, me and a bunch of guys, because, you know, there's cute girls there, and you want to show off, right? And so, and then he's like, all right, now, you know, switch partners, and now you're going to do sit-ups. And... um. Yeah, you guys already know what I'm getting at. And so I remember they said, ready, go. And you start cranking them. And I, you know, my tummy was a little upset that day. And I remember just, let's just say I blew her away. 
it was funny because I didn't want to participate, but she was like, oh, come on. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, I will. And she was the one holding my feet, and then, wow. Come on, come on, come on. I'm not going anywhere. How many know we didn't date after that? How did I get on that? Where are we? Oh, humiliation. That was my point. And that's kind of a humorous version. But I've also experienced humiliation in in very torturous ways. And I'm sure some of you here have also. And this is what Jesus experienced. He was humiliated. And he wasn't just obedient to the point of death. But even to the worst kind of death of his day. The Romans, when they crucified somebody, they were the pros. Nobody did it better than them. Every movement, every wound that was placed was on purpose. And so this is what Jesus experienced. And it was out in the open. It was in front of everybody. He was stripped naked, yet he was completely innocent. And he did it willingly. That's called sacrifice. That's called sacrifice. Let the weight of that fall on us today. He who had the highest position known, he existed in the form of God. He was equal with God. And he stoops down so low that he actually became a curse, the Bible says, for us. And he allows himself to be nailed to a cross. Why did he do it? Because of something that we call Humility. He didn't have to, but he chose to. And so Paul is saying that this kind of humility is what we need to have amongst ourselves. Thank God we don't ever have to be nailed to a cross. But he did. Now, obviously, our sacrifices don't have the redemptive value like Jesus. We can sacrifice and nobody's sins are going to get forgiven because of it. But I can guarantee you God can still use it and that he will and that the sacrifices you make for each other or somebody else, he'll put that to work. Amen. The opposite of humility is pride now. I wasn't sure if I was going to share this in the message, but I feel like I should just because it made so much sense to me. opposite of humility is pride and Isaiah 14 it speaks of Lucifer before he became Satan before he became the devil and so in Isaiah it talks about how Lucifer is saying you know what I'm going to exalt myself higher than God I'm going to make myself higher than the stars I'm going to you know and he's exalting himself he was exalting himself to places that he should ha- he had no business exalting himself to because he was not God. He was not equal. But yet the one who was equal, Jesus, didn't choose to exalt himself. He chose to go low. And instead of claiming his throne, he says, there's some people that I love and I got to do this. How many know it's a stark comparison? Satan who wanted to go high and had no business or ability to go high. And he was cast down. And then Jesus who chose to humble himself. 
The Bible says he was resurrected with power. How many know when you are humble, when you express humility, there is a reward on the other side. And it's a reward that is so good that only God can give it. Like I said before, humility just has that fragrance that can't keep God away from you. Pride, on the other hand, the Bible says, opposes. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a repellent. And God doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He says, I oppose the proud. And so as we serve and as we aspire to leadership or wherever you got, wherever you are at, at work or among your friends, God is asking us to be humble. Because of the pride of Lucifer, it turned him into the devil. Imagine what pride can do to you and me if we don't get a hold of it. Again, it's a stark comparison. But it didn't end there. God eventually rewarded him. And this as we close. It's how God will reward us when we submit and serve and sacrifice like Jesus did. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the idea. Allow his mind to be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. See yourself as nothing more than one who will submit, serve as a slave, and one who will sacrifice self. And then God, I promise you, will exalt you in due time. Amen. Bow your heads, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your example. Nobody else could have pulled this off quite the way you did. Now, Father, I pray that this word would go deep into our hearts. Father, deep into our souls, into our minds. Uh, Father, and it's okay if it's, if it's big right now at the moment. Lord, we will digest it. But Lord, let your word go with us. And then finally, as your word says, that your word will not return void. I pray that whatever you might have done through this message, that Lord, again, it would change our lives for the better. That Father, we wouldn't look for territory and try to stand firm. Lord, and when it comes to our relationships, that we wouldn't stand firm and risk the relationship. But Father, where we're supposed to, we'd hear your voice and, and simply submit where you've called us to. And you wouldn't be asking too much from us because what you've done is so much more. And we thank you for that. Before we go, I always want to give an opportunity. If you're here today, and maybe you're not serving God, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard anything like this. But if you're here today and you just sense in your heart, I'm not close to him. I need to get right with him. If that's you, we're going to pray all together. But I want to know who I'm praying with. If you're here today and you want to receive Jesus in your heart, would you raise your hand? Is that anybody here? Is that anybody? 
Wonderful. Okay, so we're all family. Lord, I thank you for every nation church, Las Vegas. Father, I thank you for every life-giving church in this valley. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your gospel. And Father, I pray that we as your people would represent you properly. That, Father, when you give us opportunities, that, Lord, we wouldn't shrink back. But, Father, we'd shoot the gap. And, Father, we would deliver your word so that the seeds can be planted. And then it's up to you to bring forth the increase. But, Lord, we love our city, and we ask you to help us reach it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.